will just be a very brief overview. Um, there are books that are written on it. In fact, you could find books written on just the elements of the Lord's Supper. Um, I don't plan on getting very deep into this. I just want to do a brief overview of what it is and how it's supposed to be uh, done and, and uh, what the primary purposes are. And by way of inter- introduction to this lesson, I would like to share what one sect, before we look at the scripture, what one sect of Protestants, the Lutherans, believe concerning the Lord's Supper. Uh, we do not have the time or space to address the perversions of other denominations, nor Catholicism, but the Lutherans abuse this or- their abuse of this ordinance will suffice for our purposes. Uh, why, you might wonder, well, if you're going to talk about what we believe, why get into talking about what the Lutherans w- believe? Well, one of the things about Baptists that separates us from the other denominations is uh, what we believe differently concerning baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are some of the key things about what make a Baptist a Baptist. And a lot of people in Christianity today tend to think that, well, thanks to the Protestants, if it wasn't for the Protestants and the Lutherans, if it wasn't for Luther and if it wasn't for Calvin, uh, we wouldn't even have Christians in the world today. But they protested Roman Catholicism and they came out, you know, and, and Luther nailed his thesis to the door and Uh, Thank goodness for Luther, we have Christians in the world today. Um, In fact, there is, in a lot of churches now, they are now celebrating, they have Reformation Day. And on the day that he nailed his thesis to the door, they have celebrations in a lot of churches now. And it's really just in ignorance, um, just flat out ignorance. There's not much teaching done on what these people actually believe. Luther, I'm going to make a bold statement here. A lot of Christians would not like what I have to say on this, but I don't really care. Luther was no more of a child of God than the Pope himself. He just presented a different false gospel. In fact, Luther died with his Roman Catholic baptism. Um, He did not change very much in uh, what he believed concerning the gospel. His gospel is a works-based salvation. Uh, The following that I'm going to read, and I'm not going to read the whole thing for the sake of time, but the following is directly from the Missouri Synod of the Lutherans. Uh, It's called The Sacrament of the Altar by by Dr. A.L. Berry. He's the president of the Lutheran Church, the Missouri Synod. And there's some questions here. What about the sacrament of the altar? And he begins, Lutheran Sacrament of Communion. And he starts off with transubstantiation versus consubstantiation. Of course, Luther was opposed to the Roman Catholics, and and the Catholics believe in transubstantiation, and Lutherans believe in consubstantiation. And so, but this Lutheran writes, he begins his thesis by saying, transubstantiation in Catholic theology is the belief that the substance of the bread and wine literally change into the blood and body of Christ while still appearing as bread and wine to the physical eye. Consubstantiation is the Lutheran view that the bread and wine become the body and blood of Christ while at the same time remaining bread and wine. I'm confused already, but going on, he says, the body and blood of Christ coexist together with the bread and wine. And then he, he quotes, Luther illustrated it by the analogy of the iron put into the wheel or into the fire whereby both fire and iron are united, yet both continuous, continues unchanged. End of quote. 
He goes, I'm skipping a little bit. He says, why do we need the Lord's Supper? As we examine our lives in the bright light of God's holiness, we realize how much we have sinned and how much we need his forgiveness. As great as is our need, even greater, notice this terminology, even greater is the life-giving meal he has provided. It is a very personal way God works in our life to save us, to strengthen us, and to keep us close to him. Jesus promised to always be with us to the very end of the age. Through his precious word and sacraments, our Lord continues to fulfill his promise. Our Lord Jesus instituted the sacrament of the altar with these words. This is my body given for you. This cup is my blood of the New Testament shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do you notice how he leaves out the whole part of this do in remembrance? Right? He's making it look like it's about salvation. So he goes on and he says... The Lord's Supper is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and the wine, instituted by Christ himself for his Christians to eat and drink. Why does it matter? He goes on. It's because what is Jesus giving us in the Lord's Supper? In the sacrament of the altar, our Lord and Savior is continually distributing to us the body and blood of the sacrifice he made for us, the sacrifice by which he paid for the sins of the entire world, thus receiving his body and blood, we receive forgiveness, life, and salvation. So he's literally saying, by receiving this sacrament, we are receiving the body and blood of Christ. And this is how we are saved. This is a salvation. Now, I pause here in my notes I have in parentheses. Oh, If you were to read through what they believe about baptism, infant baptism, baptism by sprinkling, they say the same thing about baptism. It is the means by which we are saved. It is a process. And so how many ways is a person to be saved? You see, it begins to be, uh, it becomes a works-based salvation. You have to continue observing the Lord's Supper. You have to continue taking on the blood and body of Christ and so forth. And, and it's all, it's all becomes about works. Um, he goes on, flowing from these tremendous treasures of God's mercy are the love, peace, and hope that he gives us in his supper and the ability and desire to do God's will, living in love and harmony with others. It is often observed how there is a foreshadowing of the Lord's Supper in the Old Testament. And he, and he goes on there. I won't get into that for the sake of time. But he concludes that by saying, it is this very blood he gives us in his supper. And so, um, I will, um, he goes on to say, uh, how is Jesus present in his supper? Um, He says, we don't try to explain how Jesus is present under the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. Whether we believe, teach, and confess, and rejoice that he is present. We Lutherans let the words of Jesus stand without arguing about their possibility or try to explain how they are true. And I'm going to read this quote by Luther so you can hear in Luther's words what he believed. He says, as Luther put it so clearly, we maintain that the bread and the wine in the supper are the true body and blood of Christ. Everyone who communes receives into their mouths the body and blood of Jesus Christ. 
whether they believe it or not. Whether they be worthy or unworthy, Jesus' words are sure and certain. The Holy Spirit gives us faith to trust and believe in Jesus' words, not believe in Jesus and what he did on the cross. You notice that? It's to believe in Jesus' words, which he, he has perverted. And then he says, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Faith in Christ's promise is what makes us worthy to receive his supper. The reason that that was important is Luther says whether they believe it or not, it is important for people to take the Lord's Supper because it's a way in which they are saved, whether they believe it or not. He concludes by saying, why do we receive the Lord's Supper often? And in my lesson, I'll, 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 I'll close with how frequently we should observe the Lord's Supper or what the Word of God even has to say about that. But he says, why do we receive the Lord's Supper often? We receive the Lord's Supper often. They receive it every Sunday. They receive it every special service. They don't ever, they look for every opportunity they can to have the Lord's Supper because they believe that they are um, dispensing salvation when they have it. And so um, I will, I will, I have two more pages, three more pages of that, and I won't bore you with it, but. I think I've read enough to show that what they believe about the Lord's Supper is vastly different than what we believe about the Lord's Supper. And it is really different from what the Word of God has to say about the Lord's Supper. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in verse 23 through 26. He says, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do, notice this, this do in remembrance of me. Not for salvation. It's just this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he took also the cup when he had supped, saying, This is the cup of the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it. In remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup unworthily. Remember how Luther said it doesn't matter whether a person believes. It doesn't matter whether he's worthy or unworthy. Does Luther's words trump what the word of God has to say? Notice here. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And then he says... Paul writes, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the blood and body of, Christ, of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and let him so eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. There's a few things of note that I just want to bring out concerning the Lord's Supper. This is, an, this is just a basic, basic overview of the Lord, ordinance of the Lord's Supper. From the beginning, this ordinance was a church ordinance. Uh, it's, the Lord's Supper is not a generic Christian ordinance. When I was in prison, I was the chaplain's uh, clerk for a while, and there was a, a clerk that came in. Um, he, he would come in about once a month on Sunday and, and have the services there. 
And he said one Sunday, I don't remember what brought it up, but he said that it doesn't matter. You can observe the Lord's Supper wherever you are if you're with another Christian friend. And he said, you could be out here on a mountainside. And if you have chips and Coca-Cola, as long as you consecrate it and you are saying, this is what we're doing, then that's all that matters. Now, this guy wasn't a Lutheran. He wasn't a Presbyterian. This is the far other ditch that Christianity has fallen into, this sloppy nonsense that is also has nothing to do with the Word of God. Neither right. one have anything to do with the Word of God. Right. Um, but this is not a generic Christian instruction, this do in remembrance of me that Jesus said. He did not institute this on a hilltop to all 500 of his brethren who saw him after the resurrection. Who was he with when he instituted the Lord's Supper and said, this do in remembrance of me? He was with his apostles, right? He wasn't with uh, several hundred of his disciples even. He was with his, he was with his apostles. And uh, it was specifically, these instructions were specifically given to the first ordained members of his church, the apostles only. When he says, this do in remembrance of me, he is giving these men the authority to do so, to carry on the practice in the coming days and years. These men, these very men who he gave this to, were part of the 120 who were assembled before the day of Pentecost. These men were the men who were leading the church in Jerusalem when it grew and expanded from 3,000 to 5,000 to 10,000 and so forth. These apostles were the leaders of the early church. And so um, remember how it was that it says after the day of Pentecost, after the power of the Holy Ghost came upon them, it says that they continued steadfastly in what? In the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. So much of what Jesus, we don't know all of what Jesus instructed them and told them. We have just a little bit given in the given in Matthew and so forth. But the Lord had instructed his apostles concerning the things of the church, and this is how things should be done moving forward in the coming days. Um, and so this is a church ordinance. Not just anyone. Why is this important? Not just anybody can administer the Lord's Supper anywhere at any time, just as no unauthorized believer can administer baptism. We don't believe that um, if you happen to lead your grandma to the Lord, that you can go down to the Spokane River that same afternoon and baptize her, because after all, this is a wonderful thing. I led her to the Lord, and this will be a special moment for us. And so we don't believe that that's acceptable. And just in the same way, we do not believe that just anybody in any context can administer the Lord's Supper. It is in a church context that Paul is advising the church of Corinth concerning the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Early in that chapter, notice, go up to verse 1. Early in that chapter, he praises the church. He doesn't say, I praise the saints of Corinth, or in any generic way, but he, he praises the church that he's writing to. For He says, for keeping the ordinances as I delivered them, to you. He says in verse 1, be followers of me even as I am also of Christ. Now I praise you. By the way, Paul also was an apostle. <laughs> and so what he said went. When the apostle said 
that this is how things are to be done. The early church followed it, and they, they did it. They had special authority, and that's who he gave this ordinance of the Lord's Supper to. And so Paul now, as an apostle, is advising this church concerning the Lord's Supper, and he says in verse 2, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. As I've already mentioned, it's very common knowledge that the apostles had special authority. Uh, What they said was to be accepted in the churches. So when the Lord gave this instruction to the apostles, and then we see it in the early church being observed, it can be assumed that that this was an ordinance, indeed delivered to the churches to be carried out and observed everywhere that there was a church. In this passage, we see the purpose also of both the cup and the bread, our passage in 1 Corinthians. Um, It is to be done in remembrance of him. It is to memorialize Christ's sacrifice of himself, not to save us in any way. It's really simple. This do in remembrance of me. See, what Satan wants to do, and if if you look at what the word of God has to say in the epistles, when it deals with false teachers, false doctrine is called the doctrine of devils. And what Satan is so good at what he started in the garden of Eden, when he said, "Yea, hath God said, and has continued down through history is to take what God has said and twist it. That's what we see. Luther did. He took some, he's, it's not even misquoting. It's, it's completely erroneous, but they take what is said and then they, they twist it into being something that completely changes the gospel. The thing about the Lord's ordinances is that they represent their picture of, of the true gospel. right? If we observe the Lord's Supper, the broken bread, which represents his broken body, we drink the cup in remembrance of the blood that was shed for us, and we do this in remembrance It points to the true gospel that he did it all. He's the one that completed the work and there's nothing more to be done. There's nothing more in salvation than what Christ has already offered once for all. And so there's no need for us to ingest in some way mystically as Luther puts it or literally as the Catholics put it, the body and blood of Christ because he did it all and we are literally just to... Remember what he did. Now, when we remember this in the Lord's Supper, this is why it's important to observe the Lord's Supper, is because what we are doing in the Lord's Supper in this act is what we actually spiritually should be doing on a daily basis in remembering what Christ has done for us. When we struggle with sin, when we struggle maybe with whether we're saved or not, when you have doubts, when no matter what you're going through in your spiritual struggle, Your confidence should never go back to your baptism. Your confidence is never supposed to go back to the day I said that prayer and asked Jesus into my heart. Your confidence is always supposed to go back to nothing that you did or have ever done. But your confidence is always supposed to be your faith is in what Jesus Christ did when he died for you on the cross. And when we understand that that is what the Lord's Supper is, this is something that... What I just talked about, we do, when you go back and you look at what Christ did for you, and you go back and you remember 
putting your faith in what Christ did. I know that I'm saved because of what he did. You can do that on an individual basis. But when we observe the Lord's Supper, we do it as a unit. We do it as a body together. And so, um, I'll just jump ahead in my notes, but um, here when it talks about examining ourselves, let a man examine himself. We are examining ourselves when we take the Lord's Supper, but we're still doing it as a body. We're doing it as a church, but each one of us individually. The pastor does not judge whether or not Eric Berg is worthy to partake or Mara is worthy. It is the pastor is, is just as responsible for some introspection, for looking at his own walk, at his own life, and what his relationship is with the Lord Jesus Christ, and how am I living just as much as every member of the church. And we all do this individually, but we do it together as a body. The Lord instituted this practice, and he had a reason for doing it that we cannot fully understand. But it is beneficial. We know that it must be beneficial for him to have ordered us to do this. Listen, we don't have, as Baptists, we do not have very many rites and rituals. Religion as a whole has many, many observances and many rites and many things that we have to do. As Baptists, we don't believe in all this putting on of all these activities and all these things. We have two ordinances. When a person is saved, he is baptized and identifies with the Lord in baptism, and that's his public profession of salvation. And, uh, oh, and then we have this, what we continue to do repeatedly in a church context is to observe the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is for believers only. It's not for the lost, as Luther is so corruptly promoted. Nowhere in Scripture there is, is there even a hint that the lost sinner should take this for some spiritual benefit. The Lord's Supper means nothing to a lost person. Nothing. Because it is to be done in remembrance. And if you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then what Christ did on the cross doesn't amount to a hill of beans. And so observing it in some ordinance is going to do nothing for you spiritually. There's nothing for you in it. You see what I'm saying? Because it's to be done in remembrance. It's for saved people. Yes, amen. We see that it is only for a certain time here on earth. And it is to be done in his absence. He said, it says, you do show the Lord's death till he come. This is what the Lord said when, when he instituted this. This do in remembrance of me. And we show the Lord's death until he comes again. What a joy it is to keep this in mind. That one day, we observe the Lord's Supper now in remembrance of what he's done for us. But one day, in person, we are going to constantly be reminded of what he did Amen. for us. Amen. The scars in his hand, yes. right? The, we will see our Savior with our own eyes. And, and what a joy that is going to be. The worship in heaven is so far beyond the worship we have down here, right? And you think about what the book of Revelation has and what it paints, it presents a picture of the worship in heaven. And worthy is the lamb, right? And just, he's there. And we will be with him. 
And so there will be no need for us to anymore do this. But as long until he comes again, there is a need and a requirement and necessity for us to do this. And then it is obvious from this passage, my next point from this passage that Paul wrote to the Corinthians here, the Corinthian church, that the Lord's Supper is a local church function. In no way is it to be performed outside the church. Quite the contrary, he draws a distinction between, in this passage, if you were to read the whole passage, he draws a distinction between eating in their own houses and then the Lord's Supper, which is to be done at the house of God. He addresses, what, have you not houses to eat and to drink in? He doesn't say, what, have you not houses that you can observe the Lord's Supper in outside the church context? It's the opposite. It's within the church and only within the church that the Lord's Supper is to be observed. And so there's such a distinction from what is done in the home and the church in this passage. I already... Uh, considered the examination that is to take place. And it's for ourselves. Note that it is not... Now, you know, you can be right on a doctrinal point and have really bad arguments. And I have heard in arguing for a correct position, which is closed communion, <laughs> I have heard it argued, well, when you, if you give the Lord's Supper or if you give this ordinance to somebody from another church and they're visiting your church and you don't know what standing they are in that church and you don't know what's going on and and so forth. And oh, you know, it doesn't talk about examining anywhere in here does it talk about when it's done for anybody to be examining anybody else. Now, I believe in closed communion, but what I've said is I think that that's a bad argument because it's not the church's responsibility to make sure that you're worthy before you participate. There's nowhere, the best of my knowledge, there's nowhere in the Bible that says that we need to make sure that it's somebody else's responsibility to make sure that you're living right and you're worthy of partaking of the Lord's Supper. That's not the case. But it is a local church ordinance. And if indeed it is a local church ordinance, it is to be done in a church context. And if that's the case, then it follows that it is for church members only for some of the following reasons. How can people from the community who are not members have any right to the Lord's table at a particular church? Are they to observe it in, let's say we had visitors this morning, we would have had the Lord's Supper. And it's the first, we had a first time visitor this morning. And, oh, well, she says she's a Christian, so we just get, and we just say beforehand, so just, this is, if you're a believer, this is for you. Well, so they visit our church this Sunday, and then next Sunday they decide, eh, I'm going to go check out the flavor over here at this other church down the road, and so they go there, and well, they just so happen to be having the Lord's Supper there, and so, oh, they have the Lord's Supper there. And, well, if they go to another church the next Sunday, well, they might be having the Lord's Supper there, and, and it's like this buffet that, you know, is just available to everybody at any time, whenever. Um, but if it's, think about this, if it's a, Local church, if it's a church, if it's an ordinance for the local church, um, then the members of the church are united in their belief. See, a lot of people will say, well, as long as we're of like faith and practice, that's also, well, as long as, it's not just for all believers, but as long as we're of like faith and practice, 
then we can all, then you can participate. But if the members of Calvary Independent Baptist Church, if we're believe, united in our belief, our statement of faith, what we believe about the Word of God, some of the things like I'm talking about tonight, and our mission, our evangelistic mission, of what our purpose is, and so forth, what about the outsider who drifts in and out and only attends our church without commitment to this local body? You see, we're united and we're together. And when I was talking about one of the things about observing the Lord's Supper is, yes, we, um, it's a personal thing that we're doing. But we're doing it as a unit. We're doing it as a body, as this church. Having the Lord's Supper... Um, creates a special bond when we have the Lord's Supper together it creates a bond between us this is something that we do and it's something that we only do together as a church um, it's not something that we do with strangers that we don't know anything about um, also if it's for the benefit of the local church and to be done only in a local church context and not at our friend's house or down the road, um, then how does it follow that someone from another church, even of like faith and practice, has any access to the practice of our local church? When they come from another church and then they come to our church, what gives them access to what we practice in our own local church as a body? We like, even non-denominational churches, they like to emphasize... um, the independence of a church. You know, the fact that we make our own decisions, we are not part of some uh, hierarchy um, and so forth, and we're, we're an independent local church. And we, a lot of Baptists even really emphasize the independence of Baptist churches, but then they're hesitant about closed communion. Isn't that an interesting thing? Like, they're very adamant about independent Baptist church. What my church, your church has no authority over me, and your, you know, and vice versa, and so forth. But when I attend your church, I want to be able to participate in what you do in a church context in this special, in this special way. Isn't it an interesting thing? Let's take the local church concept to, to this other example. Maybe this isn't a good example, but this is my weird brain at work, okay? Bear with me. If I attend the services on a Wednesday evening at a church we fellowship with, um, let's say I was down in Smithville, Oklahoma, visiting Brandon White's church where Scott Silvers is. And uh, I happen to be there on a Wednesday night. And they're a church of like faith and practice. And they have a business meeting. Am I even so much as allowed to raise my hand and ask a question? Well, why not? We're all in the body of Christ, right? And if I'm in a church... I'm a member of this church, and as a member of that church, even in a local church sense, we're still, we're not even talking about universal, invisible concept here. We're talking about, like the message I preached a month ago, um, if, if I'm a member of a scriptural church here, and there's another scriptural church over there, together we're all part of the church of God, in that sense, as far as the local visible churches, the institution that Christ established. Just because I'm a member of this local church doesn't give me access to their business meeting. I'm, a I'm not allowed to raise my hand and ask questions. It's none of my business. That's their local church. Right. I'm not allowed to vote. 
You know how weird it would be for me to go into another church? We understand these concepts. I can't go into another church. Well, why not? Why can't I vote and put my two cents in on what I think should happen at Smithville, Oklahoma? Because I'm a smart guy and I'm spiritual and I'm part of the body of Christ. And I think I could help them if I would just vote to have this other guy excommunicated. I mean, doesn't it sound silly, right? It sounds ridiculous. But we want to somehow, because we're all in the body of Christ, even in a local church concept, when we understand what that is, for some reason, um, it's not like I'm a Christian, but I'm not a member of a church anywhere. So I can't go down there and I still, there's no, under no circumstance, there's no way you can justify that I have a say in their local church practice. I can go preach there if they ask me to, but I can't just show up and preach there and say, hey, Brandon, uh, just want to let you know I'm here to preach this morning. I hope you appreciate it. I can't do that. I have to be asked to do that. And so um, I hope that that's just kind of a basic little understanding that you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't insist on independence of churches and church practice and, and so forth and then kind of open the door here on this. The very fact that all churches are independent of other churches means that participation does not automatically cross church memberships. A visitor can participate in the Lord's Supper when he returns to his home church. It should not be a discouragement to the visitor. A lot of times people get so, they're so into their feelings and not wanting to offend people. But I've been in churches where they observed the Lord's Supper when I was there. In fact, the last time I was at Fairfield, um, I preached there on Sunday morning. I'm, I'm a guest preacher. And when the service was over, they were like, well, this is a... Uh, communion. We have communion on the first Sunday of every month, and uh, so we're going to have anybody here who's not a member. We'll go ahead and ask you to go ahead and leave, and then we'll come back in in five minutes. And you know, I wasn't offended because I was, I was walking out the door with my head hanging, going, "Man, uh, you know that just offends me because these guys won't give me the cup of blessing." Right? No, I actually was like, "Well, praise the Lord, somebody still does something right." Yes. You know. I'll participate in the Lord's Supper when I'm at my church. It's not something that should offend people. But a lot of times people almost feel like, man, we're really sorry. We hate to have to do this, but we're going to have to ask you to leave so we can observe this local church ordinance. So I just think that it can be a, a point of encouragement when you're visiting another church or someone's visiting our church and we don't offer it to them. They could, they have the option of walking out the door, praising the Lord for, I really appreciate how they do things in that church. There's nothing wrong with that. Finally, on this uh, concept of closed versus open, I didn't get into open, but if a church practices close communion, that is if they offer it, see open is what Catholics, Lutherans, and Um, other denominations do when they offer open is when you offer it to lost and saved alike and the reason that they practice open is because they believe that there's spiritual benefits to even a lost person there's so there's open but then there's close and then there's closed and close is when you offer it to people usually in baptist circles it's when you offer it not to just any believer 
um, even if they're visiting your church for the first time. But it's more like what I was talking about. If somebody is visiting our church and we know, it could be a pastor from another church and we know him and we know that church and, and we would offer uh, communion to him. If a church practices that, close communion, and offers it to those they know are in good members, good standing of a sister church. Oh, and once again, I don't see where you're supposed to be making a determination whether he's in good standing or not. That's between him and the Lord if he partakes of it. But even if you know he's a member in good standing of a sister church, um, if they practice that, I don't think that it doesn't make them a scriptural church. They might not practice it the way that I think it should be practiced. And that's the position that our church has. But it doesn't mean that they're not a scriptural church. And it definitely, you definitely can't say that they're not a Baptist church if they practice close communion. The reality is that many, many sound Baptist churches have practiced close communion all throughout history. Especially in this country. They used to do it even at annual association meetings and and things like that. When you would have um, an annual meeting or all the preachers of a particular association, and we're not big into associations anymore like they were in the 1700s and the 1800s, but we still have things that will have like uh, churches of like faith of practice, the pastors um, will have like a missions conference or they'll call it a preacher's conference and it's an annual meeting and so forth. Well, they used to have these association meetings where they would get together. And one of the things that they would do to show their union and that they were together on the same page is they would actually observe the Lord's Supper at the association meetings. This is just a statement of fact. And um, it didn't mean that those were not Baptist churches. If you want to say that that made them not Baptist churches, then you just blew up your chain going back to the apostles. Okay, because this is a practice that has taken place frequently throughout Baptist history. That said, just because they practiced that way, and not everybody did, but just because Baptists have practiced that way doesn't mean that I have to. We don't have to practice close communion. We're an independent church after all, right? And so we could practice how we believe we should be practiced. But I think we need to be careful in automatically throwing other churches under the bus just because they practice this particular thing a little bit differently than we do. Oh, frequency. On the final point, frequency concerning the Lord's Supper. How often should it be observed? As we saw the Lutherans... And other Protestants, they give it as often as possible for the sake of some saving grace reaching the participant. But if it's just done in remembrance, and I say just, I don't, I'm not lightning, but if it's done in remembrance and not for a purpose of saving, then does it matter how frequently we do it? I just want to close by giving us a few questions for us to consider. And I'm not going to come off strong on this. Um, I don't have a particular opinion on exactly how frequently it should be because the scripture is silent. It says as oft as you do it, do this in remembrance of me. But if you have something that is called an observance, we, we observe something, then it should be done frequently enough that it can be considered to be an observance, right? If you can't remember the last time you did something, then you probably are not, it's probably not an observance, 
Okay. Um, and so if we consider this, the first thing I want us to consider concerning frequency is this is this observance is or ordinance is a command. It's not a suggestion. This do in remembrance of me. It's something that he said to do. It is just as direct an order as the Great Commission, which we speak of frequently as Baptists. Go into all the world, be evangelistic, and so forth. This is something that we're told to do. We would not be a scriptural Baptist church if we neglected, I don't believe we would be a scriptural Baptist church at all if we did not support any missionaries. How can, we need to be evangelistic. We need to be helping other people go and spread the gospel and, right. and um, follow the model that they, that they had in the, in the early church of supporting other, other churches and other mission works and so forth. Um, and so a church that neglects to observe the Lord's Supper is in direct rebellion against what they are told to do. Now, as I say that, I don't know of any churches that don't observe the Lord's Supper. I've never known of a church that didn't observe the Lord's Supper. But if there was a church that did not observe the Lord's Supper, it would be an outright rebellion. Um, Next question that I have, though, is can we reflect and remember what the Lord did for us too frequently? If the Lord said, do this in remembrance of me, and we understand what the purpose of it is, then is that something that you can do too much? Now, there is a sense, just thinking from a human perspective, how we human beings are. Too many times, if we do something too much, it can lose its meaning. It just becomes a habit. It's just, it, it, can, it can turn in, if we're not careful, it can just turn into a ritual. It's just something that we do. And so there's this fine line that, that churches, so the Lutherans, they do it every chance they get. The Catholics, they, they, they're constantly having mass for everything and, and so forth. But then on the flip side, there's Baptists, but we, we don't want to become too ritualistic. But at the same time, we have to not do it too infrequently. And so the question I ask is, can we, though, reflect and remember what the Lord did for us in the way that he said to do it too frequently? I don't have, I haven't studied this out. If I did, it would just be the words of men. But it would be interesting to know how frequently the early church observed the Lord's Supper. Like, take the church in Jerusalem. And there's two different ways in which it says that they went from house to house and they were breaking bread and, and so forth. And if I remember right, this is off the cuff, so don't hold me to it. But I think there's two different ways in which it's spoken of in two different verses. And uh, one would be that they were, they had, when it's speaking of how they had all things in common. I think that's, they were sharing meals and, and that had nothing to do with the Lord's Supper. But I wonder how often the early church, so fresh off of what had just happened, how, how frequently did the early church observe the Lord's Supper? In reading in 1 Corinthians, if you just read this, you would almost tend to think that this is happening on a pretty frequent basis because he's addressing something that is, it's, it seems to have um, the gist 
that this is something that you guys are doing and it's going on a lot and you need to change some of what you're doing. Um, I don't think that they were having it um, once a year or every other year. That's for sure. That would hardly be worthy of even writing about. Um, and so then the next question I would have, can we examine us? So my previous question, can we reflect and remember what the Lord did for us too frequently? The answer is, of course not. The next one would be, can we examine ourselves too frequently? Who is righteous enough that he should not stop and consider his walk in light of what Christ has done on his behalf to give him eternal life? And then another question I have, do we observe Christmas and Easter in the churches more often than the Lord's table? If you think about that, a lot of churches are all about Christmas. We just got done with the Christmas season. And then, I mean, people will go to church. They might not ever go to church, but they'll make sure they go to church for Christmas and they'll go to church for Easter. And if we observe Christmas and Easter more often than the Lord's table, um, what, is, what does that say? Um, why would we be reluctant? Another question I would have on frequency is, why would a church be reluctant to do what is instructed? Like, we hesitate, we, don't, we want to make sure that we don't do it too much, or um, for whatever reason, why would we be reluctant to do so? I think one of the legitimate concerns that can be is if a church already has it on a regular basis. I heard of a, of a church who already had it going pretty frequently, like once a month. And then someone began pushing, we need to have it, we need to have it more. Like once a month, I mean, that's not, we need to be having it more often than that. And it's like, eh. I mean, I think it's okay to make sure that it's not something that is done too much. Oh, but we need to consider why are we doing what we're doing? Right. What's, what's driving our decisions on whether we do or don't? And then, just to put this on a more light, light-hearted aspect, but especially in Baptist churches, where we like our get-togethers and we like our meals, oh, I don't think we abuse them like the church in Corinth. I mean, there's some people that don't believe you should ever have a meal in a church and potlucks. If you're going to eat it, you should eat at home and so forth. I don't believe in, in carrying on like that. Oh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with fried chicken and mashed potatoes after church. But the thing is, is on a serious note, though, is there something wrong with priorities if we gather for fellowship Sundays, potluck Sundays, etc. around home-cooked meals more frequently than the Lord's table? It's not necessarily right or wrong, but it can cause us to reflect on what is our fellowship based on? And what do we do to... Um, you know, it kind of makes me think of when those associations would get together. And I don't approve of associational meetings having the Lord's Supper. But what the purpose was when people would get together and they would observe the Lord's Supper. It's for us as a unit to fellowship around what the Lord has done for us. There's really no better way of fellowshipping. Fellowship around the Lord's Supper 
should have way more benefit. We should look forward to that way more than we look forward to a fellowship dinner around casseroles. Mm -hmm. And so as we consider this of the Lord's Supper, one of the reasons that I've been uh, prompted to really begin to look back into this, I I brought a series a few years ago on this. And um, what's interesting is when you be... It's easy to believe what you believe when you always worship and fellowship and work with saints in your own bubble. But when you begin to start trying to help people who are of a different denomination or they're from a different walk or maybe they come from a Baptist background but it's a different perspective and the more you begin to work with people and more people then you begin to kind of revisit, well, why do we do what we do? And what makes us Baptist? What makes a Baptist a Baptist in the first place? Mm -hmm. And this has been a very interesting thing for uh, me to consider and to get back into. And I think it's good for us. We know what we believe, but I think it's good for us once in a while to uh, reflect on that and revisit it and become more established in the faith. 